Section 4 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas and Yucatan by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter 4 Purchasing a Bridle, a School and its Regulations, Conversation with an Indian, Spanish translation of The Spy, Chiquimula, A Church in Ruins, a veteran of the French Empire, St. Stephanos, a land of mountains, an affair with a muleteer, a deserted village, a rude assault, arrest, imprisonment, release. The next day we were obliged to wait for our muleteer. Our guide of the night before had stolen one of our bridles, and here we found the beginning of an annoyance which attended us throughout Central America in the difficulty of buying anything ready-made. There was a blacksmith who had a bit partly made, but had not charcoal enough to finish it. Fortunately, during the day, an Indian arrived with a backload, and the bridle was completed. The headstall we bought of a saddler, and the reins, which were of plated leather like the lash of a whip, we were lucky enough to obtain ready-made. The arrival of the charcoal enabled the blacksmith to fit us out with one pair of spurs. At Zacapa, for the first time, we saw a schoolhouse. It was a respectable-looking building, with columns in front, and against the wall hung a large card, headed, quote, First Decurion, a student who has the care of ten other students, Second Decurion, Monitor, etc., interior regulation for the good government of the school of first letters of this town which ought to be observed strictly by all the boys composing it quote, etc with a long list of complicated articles declaring the rewards and punishments the school for the government of which these regulations were intended consisted of five boys two besides the decurions and monitor it was nearly noon, and the master, who was the clerk of the alcalde, had not yet made his appearance. The only books I saw were a Catholic prayer book and a translation of Montesquieu's Spirit of the Laws. The boys were fine little fellows, half white, and with one of them I had a trial of sums in addition, and then of exercises in handwriting in which he showed himself very proficient, writing in Spanish, in a hand which I could not mistake, give me sixpence. We were rather at a loss what to do with ourselves, but in the afternoon our host called in an Indian for the purpose of enabling us to make a vocabulary of Indian words. The first question I asked him was the name of God, to which he answered, santissima trinidad through our host i explained to him that i did not wish the spanish but the indian name and he answered as before santissima trinidad or dios i shaped my question in a variety of ways but could get no other answer he was of a tribe called chinaute and the inference was either that they had never known any great spirit who governed and directed the universe, or that they had undergone such an entire change in matters of religion that they had lost their own appellation for the deity. 
in the evening the town was thrown into excitement by the entry of a detachment of carrera soldiers on their way to isabal to receive and escort a purchase of muskets the house of our friend was a gathering place of residence and as usual the conversation turned upon the revolutionary state of the country some of them as soon as they knew my official character were anxious for me to go directly to san salvador the headquarters of the morazan or federal party and assured me that the road to guatemala was occupied by the troops of carrera and dangerous to travel over i knew too much of the effect of party spirit to put implicit faith in what partisans told me and endeavored to change the subject our host asked me whether we had any wars in my country and said he knew that we had had one revolution for he had read la historia de la revolucion de los estados unidos del norte in four volumes in which general washington appeared under the name of harper and jack lawton and dr sitgraves were two of the principal characters from which i learned what will perhaps be new to some of my readers that in the spanish translation the tale of the spy is called a history of the american revolution our muleteer did not make his appearance till late the next day in the meantime i had had an opportunity of acquiring much information about the roads and the state of the country and being satisfied that so far as regarded the purpose of my mission it was not necessary to proceed immediately to guatemala and in fact that it was better to wait a little while and see the result of the convulsions that then distracted the country we determined to visit copan it was completely out of the line of travel and though distant only a few days journey in a region but little known even at zacapa but our muleteer said that he knew the road and made a contract to conduct us thither in three days arranging the different stages beforehand and from thence direct to guatemala at seven o'clock the next morning we started although both my companion and myself were old travelers our luggage was in bad packages for traveling with mules over a mountainous country hard to put on and easy to fall off and in keeping with this we had but one pair of spurs between us in an hour we forded the montagua still a broad stream deep and with a rapid current and coming out with our feet and legs wet diminished somewhat the regret with which we bade farewell for a while to the beautiful river for an hour longer we continued on the plain of zacapa cultivated for corn and cochineal and divided by fences of brush and cactus beyond this the country became broken arid and barren and very soon we commenced ascending a steep mountain in two hours we reached the top three or four thousand feet high and looking back had a fine view of the plain and town of zacapa crossing the ridge we reached a bold precipitous spur and very soon saw before us another extensive plain and afar off the town of chiquimula with its giant church 
On each side were immense ravines, and the opposite heights were covered with pale and rose-colored mimosa. We descended by a long and zigzag path, and reached the plain, on which were growing corn, cochineal, and plantain. Once more, fording a stream, we ascended a bank, and at two o'clock entered Chiquimula, the head of the department of that name. In the center of the plaza was a fine fountain, shaded by palm trees, at which women were filling their water jars, and on the sides were the church and cabildo. On one corner was a house to which we were attracted by the appearance of a woman at the door. I may call her a lady, for she wore a frock not open behind, and shoes and stockings, and had a face of uncommon interest, dark and with finely penciled eyebrows. To heighten the effect of her appearance, she gave us a gracious welcome to her house, and in a few minutes the shed was lumbered with our multifarious luggage. After a slight lunch, we took our guns, and, walking down to the edge of the table of land, saw what had attracted our attention at a great distance, a gigantic church in ruins. It was seventy-five feet front and two hundred and fifty feet deep, and the walls were ten feet thick. The façade was adorned with ornaments and figures of the saints, larger than life. The roof had fallen, and inside were huge masses of stone and mortar, and a thick growth of trees. It was built by the Spaniards on the site of the old Indian village, but having been twice shattered by earthquakes, the inhabitants had deserted it and built the town where it now stands. The ruined village was now occupied as a campo santo, or burial place. Inside the church were the graves of the principal inhabitants, and in the niches of the wall were the bones of priests and monks, with their names written under them. Outside were the graves of the common people, untended and uncared for, with the barrow of laced sticks which had carried the body to the grave laid upon the top and slightly covered with earth. The bodies had decayed, the dirt fallen in, and the graves were yawning. Around this scene of desolation and death, nature was rioting in beauty. The ground was covered with flowers, and parrots on every bush and tree and flying in flocks over our heads, wanton in gaiety of colors with senseless chattering, disturbed the stillness of the grave. We returned to the town, and found about twelve hundred soldiers drawn up in the plaza for evening parade. Their aspect was ferocious and banditti-like, and it was refreshing to see convicts peeking through the gratings of the prison and walking in chains on the plaza, as it gave an idea that sometimes crimes were punished. With all their ferocity of appearance, the officers, mounted on prancing mules or very small horses, almost hidden in saddle-cloth and armor, wore an air bordering upon the mock heroic. While we were looking at them, General Cascara, the commandant of the department, attended by a servant, rode up to the line. He was an Italian, upward of sixty, who had served under Napoleon in Italy, and on the downfall of the emperor had fled to Central America. Banished by Morazan 
and eight years in exile he had just returned to the country and six months before had been appointed to this command he was ghastly pale and evidently in feeble health and i could not but think that if recollections of the pomp of war under the emperor ever crossed his mind he must needs blush at his barefooted detachment he returned to his house whither we followed and presented our passport like the commandant at isabal he seemed ill at ease and spoke much of the distracted state of the country he was dissatisfied too with the route i proposed taking and though i told him it was merely to visit the ruins of copan he was evidently apprehensive that i intended going to san salvador to present my credentials to the federal government he visaed the passport however as i required though after we left he called augustine back and questioned him very closely as to our purposes i was indignant but smothered my feelings in consideration of the distracted state of the country and the game of life and death that was then playing throughout the land we returned to the house and the interesting lady who had welcomed us to it as yet we did not know whether she was senora or senorita but unhappily we found that a man whom we supposed her father was her husband when we inquired of her about a fine boy ten years old whom we supposed to be her brother she answered es mio he is mine and as if it was fated that the charm of her appearance should be broken when according to the rules of courtesy i offered for her choice a cigar and a puro she took the latter but it was so long since i had seen a woman who was at all attractive and her face was so interesting her manners were so good her voice so sweet the spanish words rolled so beautifully from her lips and her frock was tied so close behind that in spite of a ten-year-old boy and puro i clung to my first impressions the next morning we rose early our interesting hostess and her fatherly husband were up betimes to assist us it would have been an offence to the laws of hospitality to offer them money but mr c gave the boy a penknife and i put on the finger of the senora a gold ring with the motto souvenir de amite it was in french and her husband could not understand it nor unfortunately could she at seven o'clock we started passing the ruined church and the old village we rode over a rich valley so well cultivated with indian corn that it gave a key to the boy's question whether we had come to chiquimula to buy maize at a league's distance we came to the village of st stephanos where amid a miserable collection of thatched huts stood a gigantic church like that at chiquimula roofless and falling to ruins we were now in a region which had been scourged by civil war a year before the village had been laid waste by the troops of morazan passing the village we came upon the bank of a stream in some places diverted into watercourses for irrigating the land and on the other side of the stream was a range of high mountains continuing along it we met an indian 
who advised our muleteer that the camino real for copan was on the opposite side of the river and across the range of mountains we returned and forded the river a great part of the bed was dry and we rode along it for some distance but could find no path that led up the mountain at length we struck one but it proved to be a cattle path and we wandered for more than an hour before we found the camino real and this royal road was barely a track by which a single mule could climb it was evident that our muleteer did not know the road and the region we were entering was so wild that we had some doubts about following him at eleven we reached the top of the mountain and looking back saw at a great distance and far below us the town of chiquimula on the right up the valley the village of st helena and rising above a few thatched huts another gigantic and roofless church on each side were mountains still higher than ours some grand and gloomy with their summits buried in the clouds others in the form of cones and pyramids so wild and fantastic that they seemed sporting with the heavens and i almost wished for wings to fly and light upon their tops here on heights apparently inaccessible we saw the wild hut of an indian with his milpa or patch of indian corn clouds gathered around the mountains and for an hour we rode in the rain when the sun broke through we saw the mountain tops still towering above us and on our right far below us a deep valley we descended and found it narrower and more beautiful than any we had yet seen bounded by ranges of mountains several thousand feet high and having on its left a range of extraordinary beauty with a red soil of sandstone without any brush or underwood and covered with gigantic pines in front rising above the miserable huts of the village and seeming to bestride the valley was the gigantic church of st john the hermit reminding me of the church of st john in the wilderness of judea but the situation was even more beautiful at two o'clock we crossed the stream and entered the village opposite the church the muleteer told us that the day's work was over but with all our toils we had made only fifteen miles and were unwilling to stop so soon the exceeding beauty of the place might have tempted us but the only good plastered hut was occupied by a band of ruffianly soldiers and we rode on the muleteer followed with curses and vented his spite in lashing the mules again we crossed the stream and continuing up the valley along the dry bed which bore marks of the flood that washed it in the rainy season in an hour we crossed it half a dozen times heavy clouds rested on the mountains and again we had rain at four o'clock we saw on a high table on the left the village of okotan with another gigantic church according to the route agreed upon with the muleteer this should have been the end of our first day's journey we had been advised that the cura could give us much information about the ruins of copan and told him to cross over and stop there but he refused and hurrying on the mules added that 
we had refused to stop when he wished and now he would not stop for us i could not spur my mule beyond her own gate and unable to overtake him jumped off and ran after him on foot accidentally i put my hand on my pistols to steady them in my belt and he fell back and drew his machete we came to a parley he said that if we went there we could not reach copan the next day whereupon willing to make a retreat and wishing to leave him no excuse for failing we continued at six o'clock we rose upon a beautiful table of land on which stood another gigantic church it was the seventh we had seen that day and coming upon them in a region of desolation and by mountain paths which human hands had never attempted to improve their colossal grandeur and costliness were startling and gave evidence of a retrograding and expiring people this stood in a more desolate place than any we had yet seen the grass was green the sod unbroken even by a mule path not a human being was in sight and even the gratings of the prison had no one looking through them it was in fact a picture of a deserted village we rode up to the cabildo the door of which was fastened and the shed barricaded probably to prevent the entrance of straggling cattle we tore away the fastenings broke open the door and unloading the mules sent augustine on a foraging expedition in half an hour he returned with one egg being all that he was able to procure but he had waked up the village and the alcalde an indian with a silver-headed cane and several alguaciles with long thin rods or wands of office came down to examine us we showed them our passport and told them where we were going at which with their characteristic indifference of manner they expressed no surprise they could not read the passport but they examined the seal and returned it we asked them for eggs fowls milk etc to all of which they answered what afterward became but too familiar no i there is none and in a few minutes they retired and left us to ourselves the cabildo was about forty feet long and twenty broad with plastered walls its furniture consisted of a large table and two benches with high backs and the alcalde sent us a jar of water we abused the muleteer for stopping at a place where we could get nothing to eat and made our dinner and supper upon bread and chocolate taking care not to give him any there were pins in the walls for swinging hammocks and in the evening we prepared for sleep mr c was in his hammock and i was half undressed when the door was suddenly burst open and twenty-five or thirty men rushed in the alcalde alguaciles soldiers indians and mestizos ragged and ferocious-looking fellows and armed with staves of office swords clubs muskets and machetes and carrying blazing pine sticks at the head of them was a young officer of about twenty-eight or thirty with a glazed hat and sword and a knowing and wicked expression whom we afterward understood to be a captain of one of carrera's companies the alcalde was evidently intoxicated 
and said that he wished to see my passport again. I delivered it to him, and he handed it over to the young officer, who examined it and said that it was not valid. In the meantime, Mr. Catherwood and I dressed ourselves. I was not very familiar with the Spanish language, and through Augustine explained my official character, and directed him particularly to the endorsements of Commandant Peñol and General Cascara. He paid no regard to my explanations. The alcalde said that he had seen a passport once before, and that it was printed, and on a small piece of paper not bigger than his hand, whereas mine was the one given by government on a quarto sheet. Besides this, they said that the seal of General Cascara was only that of the Department of Chiquimula, and it ought to be that of the State of Guatemala. I did all in my power to show the insufficiency of these objections, but, after a warm altercation, the young man said that we should not proceed on our journey, but must remain at Comotan until information could be sent to Chiquimula, and orders received from that place. We had no disposition to remain in such hands, threatened them with the consequences of throwing any obstructions in our way, and I at length said that, rather than be detained there and lose time, I would abandon my journey to Copan altogether and return by the road on which I came, but both the officer and the alcalde said peremptorily that we should not leave Comotan. The young man then told me to give up my passport. I answered that the passport was given me by my own government, that it was the evidence of my official character, necessary for my personal security, and I would not give it up. Mr. Catherwood made a learned exposition of the law of nations, the right of an ambassador, and the danger of bringing down upon them the vengeance of the government del norte, which I sustained with some warmth, but it was of no use. At length I told him again that I would not give up the passport, but offered to go with it myself under a guard of soldiers to Chiquimula, or wherever else they chose to send it. He answered insultingly that we should not go to Chiquimula or anywhere else, neither forward nor backward, that we must stay where we were and must give up the passport. Finding arguments and remonstrances of no use, I placed the paper inside my vest, buttoned my coat tight across my breast, and told him he must get it by force. And the officer, with a gleam of satisfaction crossing his villainous face, responded that he would. I added that, whatever might be the immediate result, it would ultimately be fatal to them, to which he answered with a sneer, that they would run the risk. During the whole time, the band of cowardly ruffians stood with their hands on their swords and machetes, and two assassin-looking scoundrels sat on a bench with muskets against their shoulders and the muzzles pointed within three feet of my breast. If we had been longer in the country, we should have been more alarmed. But as yet, we did not know the sanguinary character of the people, and the whole proceeding was so outrageous and insulting that it roused our indignation more than our fears. Augustine, who, from having had a cut across the head with a machete, which did not kill him, 
was always bellicose, begged me in French to give the order to fire, and said that one round would scatter them all. We had eleven charges, all sure. We were excited, and if the young man himself had laid his hands upon me, I think I should have knocked him down at least. But most fortunately, before he had time to give his order to fall upon us, a man who entered after the rest of a better class, wearing a glazed hat and a roundabout jacket, stepped forward and asked to see the passport. I was determined not to trust it out of my hands, and held it up before a blazing pine stick while he read it and, at Mr. Catherwood's request, aloud. I have since doubted whether even the officer had read it, or, if so, whether he had communicated its contents, for it produced an effect upon the alcalde and his alguacils, and, after some moments of anxious suspense to us, they forbore to execute their threat, but said that we must remain in custody. I demanded a courier to carry a letter immediately to General Cascara, which they refused, but on my offering to pay the expense of the courier, the alcalde promised to send it. Knowing General Cascara to be an Italian, and afraid to trust my Spanish, I wrote a note which Mr. C. translated into Italian, informing him of our arrest and imprisonment, that we had exhibited to the alcalde and soldiers who arrested us my special passport from my own government, with the endorsements of Commandant Peñol and himself, certifying my official character, which were not deemed sufficient, demanding to be set at liberty immediately, and allowed to proceed on our journey without further molestation, and adding that we should of course represent to the government at Guatemala, and also to my own, the manner in which we had been treated. Not to mince matters, Mr. Catherwood signed the note as secretary, and having no official seal with me, we sealed it unobserved by anybody with a new American half-dollar, and gave it to the alcalde. The eagle spread his wings, and the stars glittered in the torchlight, all gathered round to examine it, and retired, locking us up in the cabildo, stationing twelve men at the door with swords, muskets, and machetes, and at parting the officer told the alcalde that, if we escaped during the night, his head should answer for it. The excitement over, Mr. C. and I were exhausted. We had made a beautiful beginning of our travels, but a month from home and in the hands of men who would have been turned out of any decent state prison lest they should contaminate the borders. A peep at our beautiful keepers did not reassure us. They were sitting under the shed, directly before the door, around a fire, their arms in reach, and smoking cigars. Their whole stock of wearing apparel was not worth a pair of old boots, and with their rags, their arms, their dark faces reddened by the firelight, their appearance was ferocious, and doubtless if we had attempted to escape, they would have been glad of the excuse for murder. We opened a basket of wine with which Colonel MacDonald had provided us, and drank his health. We were relieved from immediate apprehensions, but our prospects were not pleasant, and fastening the door as well as we could inside, 
we again betook ourselves to our hammocks during the night the door was again burst open and the whole ruffianly band entered as before with swords muskets machetes and blazing pine sticks in an instant we were on our feet and my hurried impression was that they had come to take the passport but to our surprise the alcalde handed me back the letter with the big seal said there was no use in sending it and that we were at liberty to proceed on our journey when we chose we were too well pleased to ask any questions and to this day do not know why we were arrested my belief is that if we had quailed at all and had not kept up a high threatening tone to the last we should not have been set free and i have no doubt that the big seal did much in our behalf our indignation however was not the less strong that we considered ourselves safe in pouring it out we insisted that the matter should not end here and that the letter should go to general cascara the alcalde objected but we told him that if not sent it would be the worse for him and after some delay he thrust it into the hands of an indian and beat him out of doors with his staff and in a few minutes the guard was withdrawn and they all left us it was now nearly daylight and we did not know what to do to continue was to expose ourselves to a repetition of the same treatment and perhaps as we advanced further into the interior with a worse result undetermined for the third time we turned into our hammocks at broad daylight we were again roused by the alcalde and his alguaciles but this time they came to pay us a visit of ceremony the soldiers who had accidentally passed through the village and had made all the disturbance had left after some deliberation we determined to continue and charging the alcalde again about the letter to general cascara turned our backs upon him and his alguaciles in a few minutes they all withdrew we took a cup of chocolate loaded our mules and when we left the place was as desolate as when we entered not a person had been there to welcome us and there was not one to bid us farewell end of section four